Well, hello, Freedom House Central Campus. You guys doing great today? Come on, man. You guys are awake. I like it. I like it. I hadn't been here in a little while. I've been, I've been slumming it at those other campuses. I know, I know. Lake Norman, ooh, right? Right? South End, ooh, those are terrible. This is the best campus. Y'all know. This is the, I mean, it's the original, right? Y'all are the original so you're the best. I'm telling you. Well, it's great to be here. My name's Olin Carter. Um, I get to serve on our incredible teaching team, which I just love. It's the the most fun I get to have. It's the most special, fulfilling thing in my life. I love getting to do this, being a part of this incredible team that we have. It's so, so great, so awesome. And I always like to take a moment and honor our senior pastors because of their vision. Without that vision, I wouldn't be up here. So can we give them a hand clap? It was their dream, their vision to have a teaching team. And a lot of churches, just the senior pastor would just do all the preaching, all the speaking. But our church is built on the vision, not a personality. And our pastors want to empower all of you to take part in this vision. You're all invited to be a part of it. We do this as a team. So I love being a part of it. Um, And I also don't want to forget to welcome our online campus. They're joining us today. Sometimes we forget how big this room really is. We have people joining us right now in Tennessee, Puerto Rico, the Netherlands, come on, Maine, New York, Georgia, North Carolina, Virginia, California, and Florida, welcome. We're so happy you're with us. Give it up for our online campus. We love you guys. Thank you so much for being with us today. So we're in this great series right now on the book of James. You guys learning anything? Isn't it incredible? I loved Romans. Now we're in James. Um, So much to learn. We have some great resources for you in our Salt Resource Center, these little booklets you can buy. It has the book of James, but it has some uh, empty pages where you can journal, you can take some notes. We encourage you to do that. Um, And just get into God's Word over the summer months. You know, summer's a great time to kind of check out, to relax a little bit, but we don't want to check out on God. Amen? We don't want to check out on our spiritual life. And it's a great time, actually, when you take some vacation, you relax a little bit, to actually go deeper with Jesus. It's a great time to go deeper with God. So what are we gonna talk about today? We're gonna talk about something today that is so important, so vital, because it messes up every single one of us in this room. Now, I want us to do something fun together. We're gonna talk about our tongues today. And I want everybody to do this. Take your tongue out, go, Stick it out. Let me see it. Come on. You got to stick your tongue out. Ah, We all got one. We all got one. And for most of us, it causes us a lot of trouble. It causes us a lot of trouble, doesn't it? It gets us into some big messes. We're going to talk about the tongue today. And I want to start off with two questions. I want you to, if you're taking notes, I want you to write these questions down. I want you to think about these questions as we read through the scripture today, as we dig into God's word. I want you to think about, process these questions about you, about how you use your tongue. Number one, are your words out of control? Now, I, I, know, I know that's probably not you, but you probably know someone that their words, their tongue is a little out of control, right? We all know somebody. It's not us, right? It's none, none of you, I'm sure, But we all know someone that their tongue gets a little out of control. Maybe it's anger, maybe it's judgment, maybe it's frustration, maybe they criticize other people, whatever it is. But their tongue, they just, they just, they don't have a filter, right? They just let it out. And that tongue, man, causes some trouble. So are your words out of control? The second thing is actually kind of reversing it around, looking at it from a positive standpoint. Are your words powerful. Would people describe your words 
as powerful, as life-giving. When people talk about you, do they say, man, when they, when they speak, man, when they open their mouth, I mean, when they have something to say, like when you go to talk in a group, do people lean in? Do they listen? Because your words are meant to be powerful. Your words are meant to carry weight. And I'm here to tell you today, and, and, and James is a pastor, I'm a pastor, teacher, I'm gonna more teach today, but man, James has that pastoral gift where he's gonna step on our toes a little bit today. You guys okay with that? If you wore open-toed shoes, just lift your feet up. Yes, yeah, just be careful, be careful. We're gonna start it off, where our passage today is James chapter three, verses one through 12. We're gonna start off in James one, verse 26. Couldn't pass by this verse. I, I actually added this in last night because I was just reading back through James and I thought, man, I've gotta start out with this verse James 1.26, it says, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves. That means you might think you're a Christian. You might want to think you're a follower of Jesus. You might want to talk to other people or, or identify yourself as someone who's following Jesus. But if you're not keeping a tight rein on this little guy right here, you're deceiving yourself. You are self-deceived. And it says, and their religion is worthless. Now, when I read that, you know what came to my mind? People that are self-deceived, they think they're really good at something. They think they're religious. They think they've got, you know, they've got something to say. They think they're following God, but they're really useless. They're, they're really fooling themselves. You know what came to mind? The people that try out on American Idol and cannot sing a lick, right? I mean, they come in, I was watching a YouTube clip the other day, and this one just came in, and they were like, so, you, you think you're pretty good? Oh, I know I'm good. I mean, I'm, I'm gonna win this thing. Like, I am great. I'm probably better. I mean, this lady, she was so arrogant. She's telling the judges, like, I'm way better than y'all. Like, oh, I can sing. And then they're like, you know, well, go ahead. She's like, oh. I mean, and it was like a bag of cats, it was terrible. It was terrible. And have, when you're watching that, have you ever just felt like so sorry for those people? Like, man, doesn't someone love them enough to just tell them the truth? Like, zip it up. Like, don't do it. Like, don't even sing in the shower. Like, don't sing in your car. Like, stop. Stop. Your singing is endangering the public. It's bad. It's so bad. But listen, for many of us as Christians, that's what James is saying about your faith. That's what James is saying about our Christianity. That we're walking around at work and we're going, oh, I go to church. I'm a Christian. And James is saying spiritually, you're like that lady that can't sing this like nails on a chalkboard because people are seeing you with your false religion because you don't control this thing and you're turning them off from God. You're doing more damage than you are good. Everything you do is a, as a product of your faith, James is saying, is worthless unless you keep tight reins on that horse in your mouth called a tongue. That thing's wild. It wants out, right? It wants to say hurtful things. You don't bridle a horse to shut it down. You bridle a horse, what, to harness it's power. 
You want to use that horse. You want to ride that horse. You want to enjoy that. I mean, horses can, can, can do things we can't do. And so James isn't saying to shut up. No, he's saying learn to control the power that's in your mouth. Learn how to use this power for God. And so let's get to our passage today. James chapter 3, we're going to read verses 1 through 12. And I'm not going to read them and break them down because this passage just flows so well. I'm going to read the whole thing and then we're going to break it down together. But I think you'll see as we're reading through it, I mean, it's, it's, just, it's so good what James writes here. And it just flows and it builds. So James chapter 3 verse 1, it says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And everybody said... Amen. Amen or oh me, right? I know I do. And it says, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder. Wherever the will of the pilot Direct. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. Doesn't sound too good, does it? For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. And if you're going to highlight, underline something in your Bible, verse 8, but no human being can tame the tongue. No human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who were made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour, pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Man, what a powerful passage of scripture, right? I mean, you just read that once a day, probably be a better human, right? Just to remind us of the danger of our tongue. But we're going to start from the top here. And where does James start off in chapter 3? He starts off by saying, not many of you should become teachers. Now, interestingly enough, in the Greek, when you study that out, you know what it means? It means not many of you should become teachers. It means exactly what it says. Not many of you should become teachers. Teachers. He's saying don't seek after a position or the limelight. He's going to explain to us through this passage that as believers, as followers of Jesus, what we should be seeking after is maturity, spiritual maturity. Don't seek a position. Don't seek to be in front of everybody. Don't seek the praise of man. No, seek to grow in Christ. Seek to be mature. Me and Pastor Troy were playing golf here a while back and. um we just, we're talking about the church world. I mean, if you've been paying attention, there's been some craziness in the church world the last few years. Huge pastors, huge churches falling into scandal, just crazy things 
happening. And he and I both were just kind of talking about it in our personal lives. And one thing I was telling him is one reason why God has always kind of had to like shove me into ministry is because I'm just afraid of God a little bit. Like I got a little bit of fear of the Lord. I don't want to mess this up. There's a weight, there's a heaviness that comes when you get up here and say, hey, I'm going to speak for God. Well, you better be careful (laughs) because you can hurt a lot of people. And people that are too eager for leadership and preaching, they come into the church, they've been here for about eight minutes, and they want to tell me how gifted they are. Just to be honest with you, if that's you, that makes me nervous. That makes me very, very nervous. When people come in, well, in my last church, I was this. When my last church, I was that. When, when I came out of the church I was in before Freedom House, I was the youth pastor, I was the young adult pastor, I was starting to preach on Sundays, things like that. When I came here, you know what I did? I did set up and tear down. I drove a truck, sometimes into things. (laughs) Don't tell the old school where we started. There's a dent in that building. I can always, it's it's a historical artifact (laughs) that I drove that truck. But you know what? I came in and you know what I wanted to do? I wanted to kind of fly under the radar a little bit. And I wanted to serve and see where God wanted to put me. Right? I wanted to just serve and see, God, where do you need me? God, where do you want to put me? And people who come in and go, give me the mic. I want to, I want to teach others. I want to lead. Put me in a position. They make me a little bit nervous. Because it's a weighty thing. Every time I stand up here to preach, man, I get knots in my stomach. I often wrestle for days and days and days about what God wants me to share, what God wants me to speak about. There have been sleepless nights writing and rewriting messages because I want to make sure when I'm up here preaching, you're hearing God's voice through my voice. I don't want you to hear my opinion. I want you to hear the word of God. And so it's it's a weighty thing. And James isn't saying not to teach God's word. If you're called to teach God's word, then obey God. But James is saying don't seek after that. He's warning us against chasing after the wrong thing. Remember the verse we started on today, James 1, 26. Religion isn't bad, false religion is bad. Now, now, sometimes in our society, we've given religion a bad name. Like we say, don't be religious. But what religion is, religion is the outward activity, the ritual, the tradition, or the thing we do that should be an expression of our heart, of our faith. Religion in itself isn't bad, but when we say don't be religious, what we're really saying is don't put on a show with your flesh that's not backed up with the heart. Don't walk around and wag your finger at everybody. Don't don't be better than others. Don't, Don't come in and try to put on a spiritual show when really on the inside you're dead. There's no love. There's no Jesus on the inside. When our actions look motivated by faith, but are actually motivated by pride and selfishness. That's that's that religious term we're talking about. But what James is saying is that's that's not the problem. The problem is with our tongue is that same thing. It's when we're motivated by the wrong things. It's not that you teach. It's good to teach God's word, amen? That's good. James included himself. He said, I'm a teacher. He said, when we do this, he included himself. But it's bad when we do it the wrong way. He goes on to tell us that we all stumble in many ways, but someone who does not stumble in what he says in using his tongue, he is a perfect Man, Now, is James saying that that man is flawless, never makes a mistake? Is that what he's saying? No, then what does he mean? 
He's saying that it, we're gonna mess up in all kinds of different ways, but the man who can learn to control this, not to get in too much trouble with this, to, to keep a tight rein on this, the tongue is mature. That word in the Greek, the perfect man, that word means mature, fully developed. It's like a full-grown man, full-grown. It's used of plants, trees, animals in, in the Greek language. It means fully developed, whole. And what James is saying is our teaching should flow out of our growth on the inside. Your service for God should be you acting out of what God is doing on the inside of you. Teaching should flow from spiritual maturity. People who are called to lead in God's kingdom are sharing really what God is teaching them. Pastor Troy talked about this at Lake Norman last week, how when he gets up on a Sunday, what he wants to preach is what God's been showing and teaching him through the week. He wants to be hearing from God and then telling the church. Hearing from God and telling the church. And that's what teaching should be. Today, we have too many actors in the body of Christ. Too many gifted orators and showmen who are empty and hollow on the inside. We need courageous men and women of God today who preach God's word with conviction. Who have spiritual maturity. Who live what they preach. That's what we need. Now, how do you know if you're spiritually mature? I'm going to give you a few tips on this if you're taking notes today want to write these down number one judge your spiritual maturity by the words you speak in private not in public judge your spiritual maturity by the words you speak in private not in public number two judge your spiritual maturity by how you treat the people who are powerless to hurt you or help you don't don't judge your spiritual maturity by how how well you get along with your boss or your spouse, I mean, those are important. But if you mouth off to your boss, he can fire you. She can fire you. But how do you treat the person in public who can't do anything to you? Who can't do anything for you? Do you treat them with respect? Do you show them love? Are you patient with that person in the drive through window? Or do you mouth off? Do you show your anger and frustration? Do you treat them like they're a nobody? Number three, judge your spiritual maturity by your willingness to serve, not by your confidence to lead. Are you willing to get down on your hands and feet and scrub the floor? Are you willing to take out the trash? Are you willing to do what you're needed to do, not what you think looks good or will be enjoyable for you to do? Are you willing to serve in the kingdom of God. Many of the well-known pastors that we've seen stumble in the past few years, they were eloquent on stage, but they were harsh and arrogant when they got off of it. My daily prayer is not for the fame of celebrity. My daily prayer is for the heart of a pastor. That's what I pray for. And hopefully that's what you're praying for too, the heart to be a servant. Jesus was the greatest teacher to ever live. Can we all agree on that? Nobody was ever more eloquent than Jesus. Nobody's words had more power than Jesus. Jesus would teach and they would bring people in on a cot and he would just look at them and say, get up. And they would get up. He could look at the dead and say, get up. Hey, wake up. And they'd wake up. Jesus' words had power. True spiritual 
power, but he described himself as what? The good shepherd. He came to care for the sheep. Look at Matthew 20, verse 25 through 28. It says, but Jesus called them to him and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. I had to underline bold that word great ones. I've read this scripture many, many times. I never saw this before, but I think Jesus was kind of mocking a little bit because you have God in the flesh that created the cosmos saying, you know, they're great ones. Who's great to Jesus? Be like Superman being here and saying, you know, all the tough guys in here, right? I think Jesus was kind of making fun a little bit there, kind of mocking the fact that as people, we think sometimes we're so great or we want to be great. In our heart, we want to be a great one. He says, their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your what? Your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. True spiritual maturity looks like Jesus. It's a heart to serve. It's a heart to bless others. It's a heart to shepherd and protect. It's words that are courageous, but they're motivated from a heart filled with compassion and love just like Jesus. But I know some of you are sitting there today and you're thinking, well, how does this apply to me? Because I don't want to be a pastor or a teacher. I know some of you are sitting there going, the last thing in the world you want is this microphone, right? I mean, surveys show most people would rather be dead at a funeral than the one given the eulogy. <laughs> Studies show that. Most people are more afraid of speaking in public, being up here doing this, than they are death. And so I know many of us have no desire to come up here and be in front of everybody, but James is not, this passage is not about teachers He's using pastors and teachers as a jumping off point to talk to all of us about the power of our tongue. He only talks about teachers for the first verse. And so where is James going with this? Remember, he's just using teachers to get our attention because what? We're, we're a great target. Because you see these pastors in the news and when a pastor falls, our words can really bless and help people or our words can bring a lot of destruction. So we're just a great example. But then what is the point of this? Well, James goes on and he compares our tongues to three different things. So if you're taking notes, you want to write this down today. Three different things that James compares our words or our tongues to. Number one is the bit in, in a horse's mouth. And this illustrates the tongue's power to control. The second thing is the rudder of a large ship. Now this illustrates the tongue's power to direct, to give direction the last thing is a small fire that starts a great forest fire. And this illustrates the tongue's power to destroy. I believe that each and every one of us in here today, no matter if you're an introvert, an extrovert, whether you're in ministry, whether you're working in the public sector, whether you're a parent, whether you're a leader, recognized leader, we all lead somebody. All of us, our words have the power to control, to direct, or to destroy. Your words have the power to control, to direct, or to destroy. So let's 
take a look first at the power to control. I believe our tongues have the power to control. No man has the physical strength to control a horse. You bring a horse in here, and listen, you can do all the CrossFit you want. You're not going to control that thing with your physical strength. (laughs) Pastor Troy, pretty buff, right? I mean, you see, he works out. He can't control a horse. None of us have the physical strength and power to control a horse, but yet you bridle the horse. You put that little bit into the horse's mouth, and you can control its entire body. I remember years ago, we went to this little festival, and uh, they had a a little rink, a little uh, fence thing set up, and they had a horse, and they would ride it around, and you could pay, and children even could get on the horse. And I remember my daughter wanted to do it, Bailey, and uh, she was adorable. I got her on the horse, and, and just watching her go around, I mean, she looked so graceful, and I remember thinking, wow, even a little child with the right harness can control this huge animal, this massive beast. Even a child can do it. And our words have the same power. Your words can control your life. This doesn't mean, when you hear me saying this now, this doesn't mean new age and it doesn't mean the exaggeration, some of the error taught in some of the word face stuff. I'm not talking about going around, naming it and claiming it, grabbing it and getting it, speaking down, you know, calling down. This is pastor I used to know years ago and there was this hurricane going on. I think it was back during Hugo. And um, he goes outside and uh, he was just commanding the storm, you know. And he was sitting on his back porch and he was like, I command this storm to go in Jesus' name. And a tree fell and like crushed his carport. And yeah, I command this storm. Another tree fell. Bam, crushed his car. I command this storm. And his wife said, you idiot, get in here before we all die. <laughs> Listen, I'm not Jesus. You're not Jesus. <laughs> But our words do have power. We can use our words with, with power in the spiritual realm if we know how to do it. You can control your attitude. What's your ratio? Think about this for a minute. What's your ratio of complaining words to words of gratitude? What's the ratio? Because most of us go through life, how you doing today? Ah, you know kind of down. It's been rough. I'm, I've been just, I've been swamped and man, I guess things aren't going right and da, 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 da. And we let our feelings dictate our life. Amen. You can control your feelings and your mood by the words that you speak. If you spend much more time, if you wake up every day and focus on what you're grateful for instead of what you don't have, your mood is going to change. What you focus on is going to get bigger in your life. And so your words have power to control your mood and your attitude. Your words have the power to control relationships. Do you use your words as carnal weapons against others or as spiritual weapons to speak God's word? Are you building up others? Are you bringing freedom and encouragement in the lives of others by speaking God's word with authority? Or are you using your words as weapons to attack? Our words can control how our relationships Go And many times our marriages are struggling, our, our, our friendships are struggling. Check out your words. Have you been speaking words to build others up? Have you been sowing words of faith about your marriage? You can control your spiritual growth. How many of your words are spent praying? How much time do you spend talking to others about your problems versus how much time do you spend 
speaking words to God about your problems? When you look at the ratio of these things, does your life feel out of control? Examine your words. Examine the words that are coming out of your mouth. Now, before I was here at the church full-time, I've been in the mortgage business for like 20-something years. I think it's what helps me do my job here because I have to deal with issues and sometimes people issues and things like that. And when you're a loan officer, basically they pay you money to get yelled at for a living. We used to always joke, when you do mortgages, you know, our thing is you don't mess with people's houses, you don't mess with people's money, and you don't mess with people's families, right? We mess with all three at the same time. And the people that tend to get the most just just absolutely enraged, pregnant moms. When something is going wrong, and she's got a baby coming, and she's like, I don't have a place to live. I don't have a place for my child. Watch out. And I remember this day, I left my house. I was driving to the office. And from the time I left my house to the time I got to the traffic light before my office, which was about a 20-minute drive, this woman chewed me out. She did not take a breath. I mean, I answered the phone, and she, I was just, I mean, I was holding the phone back, like, I mean, I could hear her with the phone like two feet away. And she was letting me have it. And I mean, for 15, 20 minutes, I'm just driving and I'm holding the phone like this. And I'm just driving and she is just, just wearing me out. This is not going to happen. And my woman in my house. And, I'm, and I mean, she is just like, just filleting me. We get to the end and listen, this is where you have to learn how to use your words. When I get to the end of that conversation, I could have used my words to attack. I could have used my words to defend myself. You don't have any right to talk to me like this. This problem's not my fault. It's, I didn't do it. it. It wasn't even related to us. It was like the appraiser or something or the attorney. It wasn't even on our, our end of it. But instead of defending, instead of attacking, I said, are you finished? Because I don't want to cut you off. I want you to get it all out. That's one thing I learned. Let them finish. I said, are you done? I don't want to interrupt. And she said, I'm done. She was like, she was panting. She was like, ah, ah, I'm done. I'm finished. I said, okay. I said, number one, I'm on your side. I'm on your team. I work for you. And I knew in that moment she was afraid. You ever just have venomous words come out of your mouth because really inside you're afraid? You're terrified? She was so afraid. And so trying to be in the spirit, because I'm just sitting there, Holy Spirit, help me. <laughs> Give me the words, God. I said, I'm on your side. And I said, listen, I know you're afraid. I'm gonna get you in your house. We're gonna make this happen. Everything's gonna be okay. I just begin to comfort her. The Bible says a soft answer turns away wrath. And so you can use your words. Sometimes that horse feels out of control, right? It feels like life is just going nuts. People are going nuts. Problems are going nuts. But you can use your words with spiritual authority to rein it in and get control. We closed on her loan. A few weeks later, she called me up. And bless her heart, she called me just in tears. She said, I am so sorry. I was terrible to you. You didn't deserve that. It was, and I said, it's okay. It's okay. That's what I'm here for. I know you were upset. No problem. But you see how your words can bring, your words can, can dump gas on a fire or they can bring control. They can bring peace 
to a situation. The second thing is our tongues have the power to direct. James used the example of a large ship driven by strong winds. Now this word in the Greek, this strong winds, really is translated in one uh, translation as gale, gale force winds. What James is giving us the picture of is that even in a storm, when the winds are howling, the winds are gusting, and you have this huge ship with these sails, and it's being pushed and driven by these incredibly strong winds, this tiny little rudder can steer the ship, can control the direction of that ship. Have you ever felt like your life, your family, your career are being driven by gale force winds? You ever felt like that? Like you don't have direction in your life, like things are getting out of control. See, the way rudders work, if you look it up, when rudders turn, what they do is they increase pressure on one side of the ship and they decrease pressure on the other side of the ship. The faster the ship is moving, the more sensitive the rudder becomes and actually the easier it is to turn the ship. The pilot can turn a huge ship with just a very little effort in that pilot box, just turning that wheel just a little bit. He can turn the entire ship. But if the rudder makes steering the ship so easy, if we can just turn the wheel, the rudder turns and this huge ship just begins to go. You ever thought before, why are there so many crashes? Why over hundreds and thousands of years, why have there been so many shipwrecks? If that little rudder is so powerful, if our tongue is really so powerful that it can control the direction of our life, then why are there so many lives going shipwreck? Why are there so many ships at the bottom of the ocean? Because they didn't set the right course. Shipwrecks still happen, but not nearly at the rate they used to. I looked it up, and just in the last 10 years, shipwrecks have been cut in half. Why? Because of the technology and the navigational equipment they have today. They know how to dodge the problems. They know how to set the right course. And anybody in, there, in here ever steer, uh, steer a boat before? Yeah? Anybody ever steer? You can't turn on a dime. When you're steering a boat, man, once you're up on a problem, it's too late. Well, first thing I ever learned uh, on a jet ski is if you're heading at the dock or another boat, there are no brakes. And so what people do is they panic, they let off the gas, and then they just drift, bam, right into the problem. Why? Because you've got to give it some gas. You've got to give it some speed to turn it, to move the direction out of the way. And our tongues operate the same way. Are you being intentional with your words? Are you being intentional? Are you setting the right course? Are you reacting or are you responding? So many of us have problems in our relationships, but we never use our words to say the things we really want. Well, my husband won't do this. Have you ever told him that's what you need him to do? Because so often we get in these word games with people where, well, they should just know how I feel, and they shouldn't treat me like that, and I'm not going to give them the dignity of a response. Okay. No problem. Your problems aren't going anywhere. Listen, you're, you're like on that jet ski just heading to the dock. And you can let off the gas all you want. I'm just going to sit here and it is their fault. That's fine. You're about to crash. Your ship is about to sink to the bottom of the ocean. Why? Because you've got to use the power of your tongue with intention to set a course. 
You've got to set a course. Our words have the power to direct, but that only helps us when we're intentional with our words. Finally, our words have the power to destroy. Pastor James compares our tongue to that little campfire left unattended. Got any campers in the house today? You got this little campfire? I love a campfire. I do not like to camp when it's hot. Camping when it's hot stinks. There's bugs, you sweat. It's just terrible, right? But when it's cold, you sit outside, you're warming by the fire, you're telling stories, you're roasting marshmallows. It's great, right? And what he's giving us an example of is that little campfire left unattended. Next thing you know, what happens? It burns the whole forest down. Now, when I was growing up, some of you young people might not be as familiar with this, but I know all the the older people in the room will. There were these great commercials by Smokey the Bear. Smokey the Bear. Okay, y'all still know Smokey the Bear. That, that, That brings joy to my heart. Smokey the Bear. And what did Smokey the Bear, I want to test you today to see if you remember what Smokey the Bear used to always say. He would say at the end of the commercial, he would point, and all the kids would point with him, and he would say what? That's right. That's right. Only you can prevent. Now, when I preached this message at Lake Norman, we got, there was a huge debate. There was a huge debate after service because I said the words are only you can prevent wildfires which is the modern version, and somewhere they changed it. So at some point, so I don't want any nasty emails, at some point, it was only you can prevent forest fires, and then they changed it to only you can prevent wildfires. But here's the point Pastor James is making with our tongues. Look at me. Only you, only you, only you can prevent wildfires, forest fires with your tongue. You are responsible for your tongue. You can't have the excuse, well, they pushed my buttons. They made me say that. They made me angry. No, it's on you. And it's so important we understand that because in a crisis situation, they teach you this. If somebody were to to, to, to have a heart attack right now and I said, someone call 911. You know how many people would call 911? Nobody. Nobody would call 911. Why? Because everybody assumes it's somebody else's responsibility. In a crisis situation, you have to run in and you have to say, you, call 911. You, go get some ice. You, elevate his head. You, you have to assign responsibility. And James is assigning responsibility for your tongue today to you. When I preach, I try to always say we. I don't want you to feel like I'm pointing at you because I'm including myself, but just this once, you, you're the problem. No, listen, we have to take, we, each of us have to accept responsibility. When there's problems with this, I've got to own it. It starts with me. Finally, James goes on to end out this passage, and he says that our tongue cannot be tamed. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but the picture James is wanting us to see here, and this is honestly, this is a part of my daily prayer. When I spend time with God in the morning, I always pray, God, help me to rely on your Holy Spirit to overcome sin. Why? Because I know this and I have it written in my little journal, my little notes. Sin is lying at the door. Listen, the day you think you've got this thing licked, lick, sin is like this. Sin is just ready. He's just ready to pounce. He's like a linebacker. Sin's just like, come on, come on, come out the door. Come out the door without the Holy Spirit. Come on, come on. You don't need it. You got it licked. You're good, you're good. Come on, come on. Because the moment you think you've got it under control, bam, 
Sin is lying at the door. Sin is ready to pounce. So the final truth before we end today, James lets us know, and this helps us so much. This kind of gives us the big picture that helps us understand our words. So I've said all this, I get it, my words have power, my words can control, my words can direct, my words can destroy. How do I know? How do I judge what words I need to use? Listen, words will flow from the flesh or from the spirit. Never both. Never both. So your words, the results of your words might be mixed. Sometimes you'll speak God's word, one person will hear it, one person won't. Sometimes you'll speak out of your flesh. Things will be a disaster. Sometimes things go okay. Sometimes the results are mixed, but the source never is. The source of your words. James lets us know there's never a mixture in the source of your words. Our words are either birthed in the spirit or in the flesh. And once we understand this, it becomes so much easier to identify the source of our words in the intention of our heart. Many times we say hurtful things to people. We apologize and we say, I'm so sorry, I didn't mean that. Yeah, you did. Oh, you meant it. It just didn't come from our inner man, it came from our flesh. We weren't letting the Holy Spirit drive, we took control and it came from our sinful nature. Matthew 15, 18, it says, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart and this defiles a person. It's the things that come from the inside of us that really defiles us. That's where sin comes from. And so we have to understand the source of our words is going to be from the spirit or it's going to be from the flesh. And what we need to understand is that when we're saying evil things, when our words are being driven by wild, unrestrained emotions, they're being controlled by our flesh. And we need to confess what we said to God. We need to go to God and confess what we said and why we said it. God, I spoke in anger because I was afraid and I wasn't dependent on you. God, I spoke too quick and God, I I hurt someone, God, and my words didn't come from the spirit. They came from the flesh and God, I pray that you'd forgive me. And then instead of making excuses when we go to other people, oh, I didn't mean it. I was having a rough day. Just own it. Just say, you know what, what I said, it totally, totally crossed the line. I've asked God to forgive me. I'm not going to make any excuses. I'm going to ask you to forgive me too. Ask for forgiveness. Don't justify. Don't explain. When you say something hurtful, don't try to make it okay. You know, I wouldn't have said that if you hadn't of. Just say what I said was wrong. Doesn't matter what they said. Remember, only you can prevent forest fires. You have to take the responsibility. Go to that person and say, hey, what I said, doesn't matter what they said, what I said was wrong. I wanna repent. I I wanna ask you to forgive me. Would you please forgive me for that? You'd be shocked at how often they will. And this is is the best part probably of this whole message, guys. When you're humble enough to go to people and say, hey, would you forgive me? When you go to God, God, please forgive me for what I said. Then you go to someone, hey, what I said, totally unacceptable. I'm so sorry. Would you please forgive me? Listen, God will forgive you and God restores a shield of favor around you. That person will like you more than they should. 
Sometimes people think I'm a nice guy. I'm really not. People just, people like me because of the Holy Spirit. God will give you favor. People will like you so much. They'll want to bless you. They'll be like, man, don't even worry about it. No, man, I was really wrong. They'll repent to you. God will restore a shield of favor around you when you trust him with a humble heart and you ask him to forgive you. Would you stand on your feet today? I'm gonna ask you to take a moment. I want you to, I want you to bow your head and close your eyes. Think about for just a moment your words. And I want you to think about this. How would other people, people close to you, your spouse, your, your children, your coworkers, your friends, how would they describe your words? Your tongue? Is it full of venom? Is it out of control? Is it starting fires? Or is it full of love and full of power? Would people describe you as someone that when you speak, things change? Our words are the greatest indicator of our spiritual maturity. They have the power to control, to direct, and to destroy. Our tongue will never be 100% tame. So we need the Holy Spirit. And our words flow from the flesh or from the Spirit, never both. I want to encourage you today. I know there's some of us in here, maybe even this morning, we've spoken words we shouldn't have. And in this moment, man, if that's you, if you want to get tight rein on that horse, that, that, that power of your tongue, maybe it's been out of control lately. If that's you today, you just know you need to repent for something. You need to ask God to forgive you and you need that favor restored. Maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe it's at work. Maybe it's with a friend and you know things are rocky. I mean, it's just tough. But you're like, man, God, I need that favor back. Man, if that's you today and you just want to repent for that, just will you lift up your hand right now? I want us to pray this together. Amen. Amen. Just put your hand on your heart real quick. Let's pray this together. Say, Father God, forgive me. No excuses. I just confess it to you. My words are yours. Cleanse me. Restore favor around me. I receive that in Jesus' name. Now, before we close... There might be someone here today, maybe someone watching online that's never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. If that's you, the most powerful thing we can do with our words is to acknowledge Jesus as our Lord. That's the most important thing you can do with your mouth. The Bible says if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. If that's you today, if you'd like to make that public declaration of faith, if you're online, there's a button you can click in the chat. We'd love for you to pray this prayer. It's a prayer of faith, just acknowledging Jesus, putting your faith and trust in him to save you, to change you. If that's you today, would you just lift up your hand right now? We just wanna say a simple prayer with you. If you're online, just click that button. We wanna pray with you. We wanna connect with you. And God wants to change your life. Now let's pray this prayer together, church. Just repeat this after me. Say, Father God, I believe in Jesus Christ. He died for me. He rose again. He has the power to change me. I acknowledge Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me. Make me new. In Jesus' name, amen.